0: Good morning, church. Good, morning. Good to see you, everyone. My name's Tim. I'm the senior pastor here. And we made it through the Super Bowl. I'll have to tell you, though, when I was walking on the beach Monday, I found Tom Brady's football. <laughs> <laughs> yep, he thought he could toss it in the Atlantic when he got back home. But there it is, fully inflated as he likes to throw it. <laughs> Sorry. I'm a sore loser. It looks so good to the last few minutes. Oh, man. It is good to see everyone. Uh, Today, we are going to talk about healthy relationships. We are in a series called Transformed, where we're looking at the seven primary areas of our life we would like to see health in. Uh, Today is one that... uh, Gosh, is pretty, you know, pretty sensitive because relationships are what I call the sweet mess, right? They take a lot of work. They can be so, so wonderful and beautiful, and they can be so bad. And it seems like there is just a challenge in our lives uh, to have what we call healthy relationships. So I'm going to pray. We're going to jump into this. In your handout, if you're new here, by the way, welcome. So glad you came out. We use a fill-in, and it's in your handout. You should have received a pen as well. That way you can track along with me this morning. And so I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump into this. Father, thank you for time together to be able to look at your word and and to to learn together and to sing and to worship and to know what it is to be in relationship as far as a local church, to be able to be a part of uh, this wonderful, healthy community. And so, Father, we ask for your help today in being able to look at relationships. We want better relationships. I know I do. With friends, family, with my wife, with my kids, I think we all would like to have healthier Uh, relationships. And so, Lord, teach us today. Uh, Breathe life on your word. Help me in my weakness. And uh, Holy Spirit, you're the presence of God. We welcome you here. Come and do what you do so well. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Relationships. Well, I'm not going to go around the room. I think if we went, you know, we had an interview this morning and we said, have you ever had a bad one? (laughs) Or have you ever had a challenging relationship? Or are you in the midst of a challenging relationship? There'd be quite a few of us that would go, yeah, that's me. And when I say relationship, I don't mean just married couples. I mean friendships, uh, maybe family members on the job, any relationship that you would like to go well and you want to relate to that other person at a deeper level. That's what we're talking about today. Of course, we're looking at this From the perspective of the Bible and what God has to say about healthy relationships, you may find yourself surprised today to know that God knows a lot about it. We don't have to go far in the Bible to see relationships really go wrong, do we? I mean, if we go back to the very beginning, by the third chapter of Genesis, we're in a mess already. We didn't make it three chapters. (laughs) If you go back uh, three chapters, we see Adam and Eve... And uh, we know that things went right for, a, we don't know how long, but I'm assuming for quite some time. Things were were well, and then things just went downhill. But, you know, when God created Adam and he put him in the garden, and as you read the story, you know that Adam saw all the animals, and you think you love pets, you love animals. He had the best pets, you know, and uh, he was able to name them all. And imagine him seeing them paired up, and they're with their kind, and they're out moving around, and he's going, what about me? <laughs> there's there's no, everything was just right except for one thing that wasn't right. And that was that he didn't have anybody like him with him. And maybe God looked out and felt sorry because he was lonely, or maybe God looked out and looked at Adam and said, oh, I can do better than this. And so he created woman. <laughs> maybe that's it. Maybe that's, <laughs> <laughs> Probably yeah well God didn't create he didn't create Eve from Adam's feet because she was not meant to be you know walked on, she was not meant uh, to be lorded it over, but he also didn't create Eve from Adam's head where she was supposed to lord it over him. He created man and woman and woman out of the side because it was God's intention that this relationship, this original relationship be a partnership that it would be an equal partnership where they shared life and did life together. And so he gave Adam Eve, and he gave Eve Adam. And um, Adam looked out after he would seen all these animals, and he said what when he first saw Eve? Whoa, man. (laughs) You know, that was it. That's where she gets her name from, woman. It's like, whoa, man. (laughs) You know? He's like, oh, no, I've never seen anything like this before. This is, like, awesome. Whoa, God, you you done good, God, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And they were the only couple that had a perfect relationship, the only one ever that had a perfect relationship. And as I said, we don't know how long it went on. Maybe it went on for thousands and thousands of years. They did life together. They enjoyed life. And he told them there was only one thing they couldn't do. Just one thing. Just one. And I think maybe God did that because he wanted mankind, he wanted Adam and Eve to volitionally, you know, just say, okay, we can do this one thing, God. We won't eat fruit from that tree, from that, you know, that particular tree. But many of us know how the story goes, right? That one tree, one tree, and the devil comes along, And he says to Eve, did God say you couldn't eat from any of the trees in the garden? Well, no, God didn't say that, did he? He said, one tree. So the devil immediately starts off by lying to Eve. Eve says, no, we're not to take fruit from this one tree in the middle of the garden. And, of course, she takes it and she gives it to man and the relationship falls apart. So that's where we're going to start this morning. Out of Genesis 3... And um, verses 6 through 13 and 16 through 19, let's read a bit of this. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some of the fruit to her husband, and he ate it. Then it was as if the man's and the woman's eyes were opened. They realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made something to cover themselves. Then they heard the Lord God walking in the garden. This was during the cool part of the day. And the man and his wife hid from the Lord Among the trees in the garden, but the Lord said, "Where are you?" The man answered, "I heard you walking in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid." God said to the man, "Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat fruit from that tree? I commanded you not to eat from that tree." The man said, "You gave this woman to me. She. (laughs) What happened to whoa, man?" What was it? Whoa, man. You know, she gave me fruit from the trees, so I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what have you done? She said, the snake tricked me, so I ate it. Then God said to the woman, I will cause you to have much trouble when you are pregnant. And when you give birth to children, you will have great pain. You will greatly desire your husband, but he will rule over you. Then God said to the man, you listened to what your wife said, and you ate fruit from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from. So I will put a curse on the ground. You will have to work very hard for food. In pain, you will eat its food all the days of your life. The ground will produce thorns and weeds for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will sweat and work hard for your food. Later, you will return to the ground because you were taken from it. You are dust, and when you die, you will return. To the dust. Man, there's so much in this section of scripture that we could camp out on, but we want to look at the relational aspects of this bit of scripture today. And in your fill in, your first one, when we look at how our fears ruin relationships, and again, though I'm using Adam and Eve since they were the first relationship, this can be applied to any relationship you have friends, family, again. So, our, how our fears ruin our relationships. Your first one is this the fear of exposure creates distance. The fear of exposure creates distance. The Lord God called to Adam, Why are you hiding? That never happened before. And Adam replied, I heard you coming and didn't want you to see me naked. So I hid. Why can't we get close to people? Maybe it's for fear of exposure. If people really knew me, if people really saw how I was, they wouldn't want to be around me. So you keep this distance. Or maybe there is something going on in your life. And so you keep this distance from your friends, or you keep this distance from your wife or your husband. Exposure is some of the most embarrassing Uh, predicaments that we can find ourselves in when suddenly we have nothing for us to excuse who we are or our behavior. We're just there naked before that person or whomever. And so we will put distance out because there's safety in distance. Listen, sometimes there's a lot inside of us that we don't like. We don't like it. So why would we want anybody else to know about it? And if I don't like it, I'm just going to keep everybody at a distance so that they will not see it in me. I mean, you know, there are funny things that do this, like when you're, if you're dating and your date loves Italian food and you go eat it with them every single night you take them out and then you get married. And about two weeks in you go, I've always hated Italian food. I can't take it anymore. You cook it. We go out, we eat it. It's like I kept that distance because she would have never married me if she knew I hated Italian food. I mean, that's kind of funny. But we do this in other areas of our life that cause us great pain. We just don't want anyone to know because we feel like we're just exposed and and suddenly you start feeling like the whole world is watching when your true self is put on display. God asked when he walked into the garden that day and he couldn't find them, he said, where are you? Do you think he knew? I think he knew, right? I mean, he's God. Why was he asking that question? He was giving Adam an opportunity to come clean. Who knows what would have happened if Adam had walked out and just said, I'm so sorry, God. I don't know what we were thinking. I don't know. I'm, you know, we blew it. We blew it. Instead, he hid, they covered up. God was giving Adam an opportunity to come clean. Sometimes in our own lives, we get put in positions where we know we have the opportunity to own something. But that fear, that fear of being just put out in the open with all of our frailties and our failures causes us to push people back, push we will do everything we can to not be exposed. Now look at the process in this. Shame comes first. Their eyes are open. They're ashamed about themselves. They never had that before. They become self-conscious, nervous around each other, and especially around God. They don't want God to see them like he hadn't seen them before. Then they cover up. They grab the fig leaves and they start making clothes. Now we don't use fig leaves anymore, hopefully. But we do use humor. To cover up, sometimes when we feel like we're maybe getting a little embarrassed with something, we'll cover up with the way we dress, we'll make sure we wear the best of clothes and because inside we're very insecure and we don't want people to know us. We'll excel at what we do so that we keep a distance between us because we're so good at what we do that nobody could possibly approach us. We don't use fig leaves, but we do use something to cover up many times in our life. And then what happens, there's distance. I mean, even, you know, I love social networking and I, I love all of it. But today, you can have a Facebook page or an Instagram page and you can create your own persona. I mean, you, you know, you, you pick the best pictures, you pick the best things and the life is so wonderful. And I'm not advocating you go out and tell everybody that your life sucks. I'm not saying that. Because it doesn't, okay? I'm not saying that. But I'm saying we have the ability now to cover up. Almost completely. Where no one gets to know us. No one gets to see who we really are. It's kind of a shame. It's kind of a shame because I can tell you this. God will give you an opportunity to be embarrassed sometimes so you will come clean. It's a gift. It's a gift. We don't like it. We don't like it at all. Secondly, there's the fear of disapproval. We fear disapproval. That makes us defensive. Makes us ready to fight. Push people back. Look in Genesis 3.11. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And then the woman says, oh, the serpent deceived me. You no, know that is? It's your fault. No, that's not my fault. It's their fault. No, it's not their fault. It's their fault. Fear of being disapproved of. Causes us to be very defensive, not owning it up. And you know what I found? And this is the more critical we are, the more we fear disapproval. If you find a pastor, a blogger, a newspaper person, anyone who is constantly demeaning and putting down other people, that person fears disapproval. They're always shoving it off on someone else so the other person can be disapproved of so they won't be disapproved of. That's a defensive posture. I mean, Adam did that. Not only did he blame the woman, he blames God. The woman you gave me. You know, If you'd give me a different woman, if you'd give me a different woman, it would have been different. What happened to, whoa, man, you know? And then, it's your fault, God. It's all your fault. You're the one that gave her to me. And then she's like, the devil made me do it. He talked me into it. It's his fault. Isn't it funny that when the devil tempts us or tries to get us to do something wrong, he never tells us, hey, if you do this, you're going to be like me. He's always, like he did with Adam and Eve, you'll be like God. If you do this, you'll be like God. When really, when we respond to him that way, he makes us more like himself but you never hear him bragging about that. Hey, come on and lie, come on and do this, do that. He'll be just like me. Evil. You won't know truth and you won't be free. He never tells you that. That's how deceiving he is. Fear of disapproval will make you extremely defensive. Third, fear of losing control makes me demanding. Now, it's okay to say, oh, me, in this uh, (laughs) sermon if you want to. An old preacher used to say that uh, years ago at a church I went to, he would say, well, is it amen or oh, me? (laughs) This is pretty shocking for us because we can see ourselves in a lot of this. But we're broken humanity still looking to come back home to the garden. And so when we own this, It helps us get back to where we should be with God and with one another. Fear of losing control makes me demanding. Genesis 3.16, and you will desire to control your husband. (laughs) You will desire to. (laughs) And he will rule over you. Here's the war of the sexes. You know, I'm in control. No, I'm in control. No, I'm in control. No, I'm in control. And here we go. Controlling. Controlling. I want my way. The more out of control you feel, the more demanding you become. The more controlling. You want to control people. You get bossy. What was that little book, Bossy Cow? (laughs) You get bossy, you get demanding, you want to protect yourself, you demean other people, you dominate Fear of losing control, like my life. I can't control my family. I can't control myself. I can't control the outcome. But I'm going to try. I'm going to do everything I can. See, a secure person does not have to have their way all the time. A person that is secure does not have to have their way all the time. more insecure we get, the greater the need we have for being in control. So what's the solution? How do we get out of this mess? This is your next fill in. The solution, the antidote is love. Is love. First John 4.18 says, Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for the fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. You see, there's fear in, in, in our lives that we can't control when we, when we don't have love. The opposite of fear is not faith. The opposite of fear is love. It's love, perfect love. Love is greater than fear. People run into burning houses like moms, this picture. You know, a mom will run in. She will have no fear at all of her getting hurt, will she? I wasn't even faith that she could get her child out. That was the love that was inside of her heart for that child and pushed all fear aside and ran into it because she wasn't fearing any punishment because that love pushed out all that fear, all of it. How many times have we been afraid to tell the truth because of the consequences? So we hold it back. How many times have we been afraid to be ourselves because of the consequences? If anybody ever knows who I really am, they won't want to be a friend with me anymore. How many times have we been like at a party and people are really, you know, letting their guard down a little bit and people begin talking and, you're listening and you want to get in on the conversation, but you hold your opinion back because you're afraid of what, how they may respond to you. There's punishment and fear. I may be punished because of my opinion, so I'm holding it back. That's not love operating. That's fear operating. There are consequences. That is punishment. We don't deal with issues in our families sometimes, not because we love our children, but because we fear their rejection. Now, I learned this a little late, (laughs) but it's the truth. Many times we do not work with our children and our families the way we should because we fear the pain and the punishment of being rejected by them more than we love them to get them out of that house of fire. And so we sit back and we protect our own feelings. We're motivated by fear. We're not motivated by love. And it's punishment to be stuck like that. But perfect love, complete love that God talks about sets us free from all of this. So how do I learn to live in God's love? This is the last part of your fill-in here. How do we learn? There's the tension in all of it, right? I feel it. How do, how, do we, how do we learn to have healthy relationships then, God? How do we do that? Your first one is this. Every day, surrender your heart to God. Every day, surrender your heart to God. The day begins with that morning and... Uh, what if we practiced every morning when we rolled out of the bed that the first thing we would think of is like, I really, I really want my life to be filled with your love, your perfect love today, God. First thing, because some of us honestly aren't morning people, right? I mean, do you roll out of bed and, and your friends or your spouse go, you're such a wonderful person in the morning. I just love to be around you at like 6.30 and 7 o'clock. You know, the love is like the furthest thing away from us, right? It's, it's like, but what if we took that back? What if we took it back and we just said, God, you know, I'm a grump in the mornings. I don't want to get up. I don't want to go to work. I don't want to. I don't want to be around people. I just, you know, give me a cup of coffee, God, please. And uh, But what if we just, for 21 days or for the rest of this series, we just simply went, okay, God, this is the first thing. I surrender my heart to you because you're perfect love. You have perfect love in the cross. That was perfection. And if I have your love operating in my life, then I don't fear any punishment of being myself or loving other people or being around other people. Psalms 5.3 says, In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. And in Psalm ninety. Verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Unfailing love, never taken back, it's always there, it doesn't fail. How would you like to have a relationship with someone whose love never ever fails? Never. It's unfailing. That would be the way to start today, wouldn't it? To say to God, your love is unfailing. I surrender myself to you this morning, God. There's no distance between us because the cross has just come across that wide chasm and you have met me where I am. And now your perfect love is in me and it expels all fear. There's no punishment here because of your perfect love. Every day, Surrender our hearts to God. And secondly, every day, remember the ways that God loves you. And I'm going to give you four different ones. You can probably come up with your own. But every, you know, every day, remember, call to mind the ways God loves you. The first one there is, remember this. I am, and you could take your notes this morning and start, start tomorrow with this. I am completely accepted. I am completely accepted. Titus 3.7, Jesus treated us much better than we deserve. (laughs) He made us acceptable to God. You no longer have to work for acceptance. I know that's hard to believe. That's why it's called good news. It's phenomenal news, right? You don't have to work for it. He did the work for it. He did that. No, it's a myth to think that if you're perfect, then people will love you. And that people will just admire you. I mean, Jesus was perfect. Look where he got him. The cross. Not everybody loved him. He was perfect. And not everybody loved him. So, guess what? Everybody's not gonna love you but there's one who does love you with a perfect love that will empower you to love just like he does. I wrote in my journal back a uh, few years ago, I was bouncing some of my own work through my own life off of them, and, and uh, pastors, I'll just give you a view into most pastors, okay? I've known a lot of pastors in my life, and I have to tell you, most pastors are some of the most insecure people you could ever be around. They are. A lot of us got into this because the message of Jesus Christ saved us, pulled us out of our hiding. (laughs) And it was such good news. It was such wonderful news that we couldn't do anything but tell other people about it. And then, years later, I'm standing up before you guys. (laughs) Like, wow. Most pastors are insecure. And I wrote this in my journal a few years ago. Thanks to a friend who helped me process through this. If I could just be perfect, then everybody would like me. Then I wrote, my worth is not based on people's approval, and I'm not going to get it anyway. Even in the church, you do everything you can, and you're not going to get it. You do it in your family, and you're not going to get it. You do it on the job, and you're not going to get it. You do it in your friendships, and you're not going to get it always. But it doesn't mean you can't be a healthy person and a healthy friend. Every day, surrender your heart to God. And this is the way we do this. Every day, remember the ways God loves you. I am completely accepted. Completely. And the next one is, I am unconditionally loved. Unconditionally. Isaiah 54.10. Though the mountains be shaken... And the hills be removed Yet my unfailing love For you will not be shaken Nor my covenant of peace be removed Well, I'm gonna love you Like nobody's loved you Come rain or shine High as a mountain Oh yeah as a river come rain or shine I said when you met me I just to this it <laughs> was go? just one <laughs> of those things Don't I'm showing a little bit of my roots here (laughs) just to play that kind of music for a living Uh, man you are unconditionally loved come rain or come shine the work of the cross was such a beautiful and it just finished it when Jesus said it is finished he meant there was nothing else to do unconditional love We all want someone to love us like that, don't we? And we may even have some people that tell us they love us unconditionally, but wait till you act out or something. <laughs> but there is one. There is one. And his love can change your life, and it can make you a wonderful friend to others. The next one is remind yourself that you are totally forgiven. Totally forgiven. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. No condemnation in Christ. God's not fickle. He's not unpredictable. He's not going to wake up tomorrow morning and go, well, I thought I liked you, but I don't now. You know, he's not going to do that. He's not going to say, get out of the car now. You know, he's not going to do it. He's not. He's not like that. We, You know, God doesn't have bad hair days. He just doesn't. He says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If we ever get this down into our souls, it will change who we are. For some of you growing up, you didn't know when your dad came home if you were getting happy dad or mad dad. You didn't. And so your picture of a father might be a little skewed by your experience. You didn't know if you know if he was gonna hug you or slug you when he came in. But God's not like that. He's not like that. Look at that cross. When you get tempted to think that God is fickle and pretentious look at the cross and listen to his words when he says it is finished Lastly I am extremely valuable tell yourself that I am extremely valuable now I know some people revel in the fact that we are worms and you know and I'll have to say without God well, there's not a whole lot to us <laughs> There really isn't. But let me ask you this. How do you set the value of something? It's who owns it and what someone will pay for it, right? You ever watch, well, I do, Antiques Roadshow or something like that? You know, it's who owned it and how much somebody will pay for it. I've got a Fender Stratocaster that's got Eric Clapton's name on it, but he's never owned it. So I'm not getting $150,000 out of that, you know, out of that Strat, that guitar. Now think about it. Who bought you? And what did he pay for you? That forever established your value. He loved you so much. He sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not die, but have eternal life. He established your value forever on the cross. Because you see, your value is not about you. It's about him. It's about who He is. And He paid the price for you. So remind yourselves that you are completely accepted, unconditionally loved, totally forgiven, and extremely valuable. Those are the ways God loves you. And to combat ruining our relationships, every day we need to say this, I surrender my heart to God Every day I remember the ways, God, that you love me. And your last feeling is this. Every day I want to offer that same love to others. When you go through this process of looking at how much God loves you, you want to take that and you want to give it away. Give it to others. And it, Look what he says in John 13, 34. So now I am giving you a new command. A new what? New suggestion, recommendation, option, no, a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. And when we love the way he loves, relationships are going to get a whole lot better. And when we do that in the church, I think the world sees a community that they are envious of and they want to be a part of. When they see, "Oh my, look how this look how the people of Jesus love one another. Look how they treat one another. Then that has power in itself. We accept one another, we love one another, forgive one another, consider one another as extremely valuable." And in Romans 15:7 we read, "Therefore accept each other just as Christ has accepted you, so that God will be given glory." So, here we are. What are we going to do with this? Lord, we just ask for you to place in our hearts a name, a face, or someone that we long to be known by or to have a relationship, a healthy relationship with. Maybe this person has hurt us. Maybe this person has distanced themselves from us, and we've done the same. But Lord, I want to be a friend the way you are a friend. Now, if you've got a name, and I think probably most all of us have a name or names, maybe you could just take them in your hands. This is just a way of saying to God, I do care about this relationship, Lord. Just take them in your hands and go, Lord, I'm going to give them to you this morning. And I'm going to start being the friend that I need to be and that they need to have. So, you could you just do that? Take them and, and cup your hands like you have that person here with you right now because they are. They're here with you right now. And say, God, here they are. I give them to you. And then just open your hand up and, and give them to God. That's right. Just give them to God. Yes, God. Now, Lord, we ask that you teach us to love as you've loved. Forgive us for where we've distanced ourselves. We've been defensive. We've done everything to keep people out of our lives, Lord. We want to be healthy. We want to be healthy, Lord, so that we can have healthy relationships, friendships, marriages, relationships, God. Help us love the way you love. Thank you, Lord. Let's stand, guys.